and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, my name is Clint Wiley, uh, and this is my first Sunday in my new role. Thanks be to God. Um, you know, it's been such an honor and a joy uh, to serve alongside Chris for all these years, and it's, it's really cool just to be able to, to preach alongside him this morning uh, as he's preaching over in the, in the sanctuary. I told him uh, this morning, I said, I'm, I'm excited to preach, but I'm also kind of bummed because I don't get to hear your last sermon. And so, um, so as, as mo- most of you know uh, me and, and some of my story, and uh, for the long time, I've, uh, if you ask me what my calling was, I would say I'm, I am youth ministry for the rest of my life. Uh, the, my greatest passion uh, is to see students come into a loving transformation uh, relationship with, with God and to see them uh, walk through those, those really tumultuous years of their, of their lives and be able to walk alongside them. And, um, and I believe that calling is one of those things that is ever-evolving, uh, that calling is not just something that we hear, we hear the, word, the word of God or we feel uh, a direction and, and we go that way for the rest of our lives. But as we are in relationship with God, calling ever evolves as we step into decisions, as we step into places in our lives, as, as our perspective changes, as the, uh, the experiences that we go through mold and shape our, our, our view and our lens of the world um, God continues to mold and shape us in new and different ways. And so when I knew that this was a possibility, as, as Chris announced that he was leaving, I, I went to God and just asked um, some of the hard questions. Like, God, where are you calling me to? Is this the area that you're calling me, that you're leading me into? And I was faced with this decision to stay in something that, that I've known and loved for my, my whole life or to step into these unknown waters um, that are, are riddled with uncertainty, um, that uh, though I'm, I have a great passion for missions, it is, uh, it is new, new, new grounds. I mean, I, I get to work with adults now. It's weird. Um, uh, but I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to step into this place. Um, I'm excited for, the, for many more choices like that, for many more choices to step into where God is leading and calling. Right? Each and every day, we, we all step into choices, whether big or small, whether they are um, decisions at work or decisions at school or decisions at home. Uh, we make decisions every day. And we make decisions based on the lens in which we view the world through, right? Based upon our experiences, based on the, the things that we know and the things that we see, we make these decisions and we, we do what we call, in what they call in the business world, uh, vol- value propositions when we make decisions. Right? We get, we get the, this on one side and this on the other side, and we, we decide which one is of greatest value. And we do a cost-benefit analysis and, and, and determine which one is, is more beneficial for us to move forward with. And based upon our lens, based upon the way that we view the world, based upon our experiences, we make a decision, yes or no. Let me give you an example. Um, in my family, we, uh, this last week, we, uh, we were riddled with this terrible vermin called the stomach bug. 
Um, anybody ever had that just run through your family? Yeah, it's the worst, right? It started on, I think, Monday uh, with our youngest, Kaya. She woke up um, in our bed and, and said, Mom, Dad, I threw up in my bed, right? Um, and so then you're like, okay, where else, right? Uh, and so it's like a, like a scavenger hunt to find all the places that there might be um, last night's dinner on, on the ground, right? And so you start to change the lens which you view uh, the things that you're putting into your kid's stomach, right? Um, and then it hit, and then it hit uh, my, my son, right? Uh, and he came down and, and, and he, he said the same thing, right? And so all of a sudden, our kids start asking for, uh, for uh, spaghetti and meatballs, and the marinara sauce that we were thinking about uh, is not just thinking about how it's going into them, but we're thinking about how cleaning it up off the floor, right? Uh, and so it changes, it changes the way that we think about about what goes into our kids' mouths, right? All of a sudden, the only thing on the menu is water, right? Um, and so uh, we make these decisions every day based upon our experience, based upon the things that we, we go through. In our text today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Um, when I teach, I just encourage you to grab a, to have your Bible, whether it's in your phone or, or, um, or in your in your hands. We'll also put it up on the screen because we don't want to exclude anyone from the Word of God, but um, I think it's important to have your Bible. You can mark it up. You can underline it. You can write notes in it um, because I believe that the Word of God is living and active. I believe that the Word of God uh, desires to move in in our lives and mold and shape and transform us. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And get this, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. You ever been in, in a sermon or, or been reading through the word of God and all of a sudden you, you hear the, the thoughts, the, the attitudes of your heart be, begin to get called out a little bit? That's what the word of God does. That's the, the living and active word of God. And so I believe as we open this thing up, uh, we have to commit to being to desiring to be transformed today, because I believe that that's the power that, that happens through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Uh, I also believe uh, that my my role as a teacher, as a preacher, is not just to to open the Word up and to teach about the Word, but also to teach you how to use the Word, um, how to how to digest this this book, um, how to take it and read it throughout the week and and grow and, and know from it, and so. Uh, so we're going to kind of dive into some things, and I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks, and I hope that the Holy Spirit um, convicts your heart, and I hope that the Holy Spirit even asks you questions that, you're, that he desires for you to take throughout the week uh, and, and, and wrestle with. Because so many, so many times I've come into these places and heard a word and been challenged by something and left, and it just goes away because I didn't write it down, because I didn't, I didn't take the, the energy to... Uh, to, to bring it into my heart. And so today as we read scripture, we're gonna see um, the ways that Jesus, that th- this group of people come in contact with this Jesus and are forced to make a value proposition. They're forced to make a decision as to how they will respond to this, this man called Jesus that, that really rocks their world. We'll get to see in our text today how Jesus turns the Hulk into Bruce Banner. We'll get to see today how a seed grows into a harvest. We'll get to see today 
how Jesus got run out of town for crippling a local economy in the name of the gospel. A scandalous text in Mark chapter five, verse one. If you get there, if you're there, say word. Word. All right, let's dive in. Mark chapter five, one through 20. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. Gerasenes is a region. I'm going to stop here and there and and just kind of teach the context a little bit. Uh, But this is a region. If you think of the the Sea of Galilee, it's like a football. Um, It's just north of of the the kind of the local hub of the the cultural Mecca, the Jerusalem, the Houston, right? Um, Actually, this lake is not necessarily a sea, like like they say, the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater lake where they do a lot of fishing. It's a blue-collar community. All around the lake are farmers and fishermen, uh, much like, a, like in East Texas, right? And so it's amazing that the Holy Spirit moves and, and begins, Jesus begins his ministry in this kind of region. But, but the lake is pretty much split. On one side of the lake, on the western bank of the lake, is the Jewish side. And so all of the people, all the customs, all of the, uh, the hours and the, the working uh, patterns of, and the way of life is centered around the Jewish calendar, is centered around the Jewish culture, almost a direct line right down the middle. And on the right side, if you're looking at a map on the, that eastern bank, is the Gentile side. And on the Gentile side of the lake, uh, you have, it's not defined by one culture. It is a mix mash of many different cultures. You have pagan worship and you have, um, you have temples, you have child sacrifice, you have, um, you have just completely different cultures and customs. And so oftentimes these two sides don't cross. So if a story happens over here, it, it rarely even makes it over here because they don't do business. Jews don't do business with Gentiles often. And so we have these two separate Sides, we see Jesus enter into the Gentile side of the lake, which this is in Matthew's gospel. This is his first time over to the Gentile side, to the eastern bank of the lake. Pick up in verse two. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and, there, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains and broke apart the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This guy's like the Hulk, right? He is intense. Uh, He has been cast outside of the city, um, bound up and chained because he is a threat to the people. Because, Because the people are afraid of what he might do. Because in the past, the lens in which they view the experiences that they've had with this man have led them to a place of fear. They fear this man because of the things that he has done. We don't get, get the backstory of all the things that he's done, but we see the results of that. And so we can, we can understand a, a little bit about this story. Also notice that when Jesus stepped out of the boat, how many people came to Jesus? One. One man where he had been followed by many, where he's fed the 5,000 over on the Jewish side, and people, the word and popularity is, is growing about who this Jesus character is. He steps onto the Gentile side and one man, one man recognizes him. And it says this, and night and day, 
Among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, this, this passage, night and day, it's not a very common passage in, in, in Scripture, not for Mark at least. Um, and so uh, oftentimes when, when a writer, an author would write um, a gospel or write a story or write a book, um, it would not just be separated into these little chunks, right? These little chunks are oftentimes what we take and we teach sermons out of, we do Bible studies over these little chunks, but when, we, when you actually zoom out and look at it, the author is trying to do something bigger when he writes this narrative, right? He takes and, and puts these stories in different places so that we see a, a, a common thread. He lifts and elevates different things. And so this word night and day, an uncommon phrase, he also uses somewhere else in text. He uses it in chapter four. And oftentimes when an author uses a a word, an uncommon phrase, he's using it to tie two passages of scripture together. So, so let's dive back in. Let's dive back in. Let's go back in our text to actually look at Mark chapter four and how he uses that phrase night and day and what it means for us. He also said this, this is in verse 26. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, through, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What in the world is Mark trying to tie together? Right, what in the world, what, what, what does this, this phrase, night and day, what is he trying to do here? What does this seed growing have to do with a demon-possessed man? In Scripture, oftentimes, uh, the author will give us a key. A key is like um, the, the thing that unlocks the code, Right? Um, I remember back in, in elementary school when we'd get a cereal box and there'd be like the red markings on the back of the box and you couldn't read the word that was in the red marking and inside the box is like this little lens, this little magnifying glass that had red, a red filter on it. And you took the red filter out and all of a sudden you could see it was magic, right? That lens, that filter that, that was given allowed us to see the depth, the message that was, was to be portrayed. Um, it's the same kind of thing for us. This is like our national treasure moment. Thank you, Nicolas Cage. Um, and so, so let's, let's look at this key, right? This is a key that seems to not make any sense right now. But as we go through scripture, as we look at what Mark is trying to do, it will reveal itself and help us. So what is the significance? What is Jesus trying to do? Verse 14. Those tending, uh, no, I, I just jumped too far, didn't I? Yes, I did. Okay, here we go. Verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Remember, this is the Gentile region. Jesus hasn't been here. Obviously, this guy knows Jesus from a different place. Right? He recognizes this man who has been feared who has been oppressive in their culture, uh, he realizes that there is a greater power here than even himself. Friends, those things that we fear, those things that we think are far too big for us to handle, that we just push outside of our, of our town, that we just push outside of our community, that we push outside of our thought, 
God is bigger than those. Amen? God is bigger than those things. So whatever those things are, hear these words. Hear these words. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus said to him, what is your name? Your name is Legion. My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Remember, this is a Gentile region. That probably wouldn't happen on the Jewish side, right? A large herd of pigs uh, because that, you know, that thing. Um, But the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment. But first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. I want you to hear the significance of that. 2,000 pigs. Think of all of those pulled pork sliders, right? This, this was um, such an important part of their ec- economy. This is the food source for probably the entire village, right? This wouldn't just be one, one, uh, one farmer's crop or one farmer's uh, livestock. This was probably the livestock for the entire village. They would brand their, their pig and they would, they would give it to these shepherds or, she, or farmers for these for these pigs, and the whole town's pigs might have been in this one region, this one area. And all of a sudden, in a moment, the economy of the entire town shifts. I think it's important for us to actually ask questions of the text. It's a common practice in Jewish culture that when a rabbi would would read a text that the Um, the disciples would then rattle off question after question after question about a text. I think oftentimes we're afraid to ask questions of the text because because the Bible is perfect, and if we ask questions, we might start poking holes in it. But I truly believe that that when we ask questions, it reveals truth, and that God's not afraid of questions because he is truth, amen? And so, so we can ask questions of the text, and they may not make sense, but, we can, but as, we, as we get the key, as we get the key, it helps to unlock some of those things. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus decimate a local economy in order to, in order to cast demons out of this man? Was there another way, Jesus? Couldn't you have done something else? So those tending the pigs in, chapter, in verse 14, they ran off and they reported this to the town in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened, right? This is a noteworthy thing. If somebody runs into town and says, all of our pigs are gone, they're gonna be like, what the heck, right? And they come out to see what's, what's going on here. And when they came to see, 
Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed, the man that they were afraid of, that was possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Right? You would think that they would be rejoicing about this. This man, this, this fear that we have that's put outside the city, this threat to our, our kids and this threat to our neighbor, this threat to our village, is now he's in his right mind. But they're afraid. Why would they be afraid? Let's add that to our questions to come back to. And so those who had seen it, they told the people what had happened. What had happened was this demon-possessed man no longer had a demon in him. And they told about the pigs as well. This demon-possessed man is healed and our pigs are gone. And they're faced to make a decision. In the light of Jesus, in the light of their encounter with Jesus, they're forced to make a value proposition. Right? Does, do we celebrate this, this healing that happened or, do we, or do, we, do we push Jesus out because he's messed up our economy? Because he's messed up our livelihood. He's messed this thing up. That he's messed up our comfort. He's messed up our... Our, um, our satisfaction, whatever it is, he's messed it up for us. And so what do we do with this Jesus? Do we value the healing transformation that just happened or do we value our comfort and our economy and our wealth? Then the people begin to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Did you catch that? Did you catch their choice? Why are they asking Jesus to leave? And so as Jesus is getting into the boat, he's, he's, just, he's, gonna, he's gonna go by the, the things that they want, right? He's not, not rocking the boat here. He's probably only been there maybe an hour or two on this whole, this whole region. As Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus didn't let him. Why in the world would Jesus not let this man in the boat with him? This man has nothing. He's been ostracized by community. He's been ostracized by everybody. He has nothing. He has no food, no, no home to go back to. Why would Jesus not take him in and, and just allow him to be a disciple, to sit on, at his feet, to, to teach him, to, to grow him. But no, he refuses. He says, no, you can't come with me. Why? But hear what he says. Hear what he tells him. Go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and so the man went away and began to tell the disciples how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So what is Jesus trying to do here? Right, what, is, what is Mark trying to tell us? How is Mark bridging the gap between this, this question of, of these two people of these two texts, of a growing seed and, a, and this man who has, been, who has been 
demons have been cast out. Well, if you look a little further, the next time, so he leaves, right? He leaves this region and goes over to the Jewish side and does some things over there, and he comes back in, in Mark chapter 8. It's this whole narrative, right? In Mark chapter 8, we see, the, we see the answer to the question. We see the answer to this key. In Mark chapter 8, we see this passage uh, where he comes back to Decapolis and he feeds 4,000 people. It's a similar story to when he fed 5,000 people on the Jewish side. But in Mark chapter 8, we see this, this text on the Gentile side where he breaks bread with the Gentiles. Where he says, he's saying, I am the bread of life even to you. And 4,000 people show up. How many people showed up the first time he came on, on the shore? One. And the next time he comes back to this region, there's 4,000? Coincidence? I think not. Maybe, maybe just maybe Jesus, Jesus spread a seed. Maybe just maybe Jesus sowed a seed and he went away night and day. And the seed began to grow. And the seed began to turn into a harvest of many. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would come back to reap the harvest. What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image for us that God is, desires to do these kind of things even today. Now let's go back real quick. Let's go back to this question, the questions that we were asking. Because the questions that we ask of Jesus oftentimes speak of the character of Jesus, and the character of Jesus oftentimes convicts our own character. And so if we, as we look at the character of Jesus in the midst of these questions, we get, we'll see a revelation of the ways that God wants to use this text to mold and shape and transform our lives. So what does an unaided growing seed have to do with a demon-possessed man? If we are faithful to sow seed, if we're faithful to sow the word of God in the world, then God can do exponentially more than we could ever hope or imagine. God can take one and turn it into 4,000, but it, it requires us being faithful to do so. It requires us being faithful and obedient to, to sow seed in the world to share the love of Christ in the world. Why does Jesus destroy such a great wealth and food source for a village? Well, in light of our key, it makes a little bit more sense. Right? What's the best way to get people to talk? Do something that they feel. Do something that they will notice. You better believe that the next time somebody went to go buy a pig in town and they saw that it was three times the amount of money because of supply and demand, they started asking the, the, the butcher the question, why does this pig cost so much? Well, you, you hear what happened down, down the road? All of our pigs got sent into the water because God healed this man. You remember that, that dude? Where'd, the, where'd they come from? Where'd all those demons come from? It was that guy that was scary. Now, they might be ticked off at Jesus, right? But 
But you better believe next time he was in town, they were gonna ask questions. You better believe the next time they were in town, they were intrigued. You better believe that when they were thinking about their, their brother who's sick, it might be dying, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, that same God could do the same thing to my brother. So what does this say about Jesus's priorities? Maybe Jesus cares a lot less about us having fat bellies and full, and full pocketbooks than he does about us, about the transformation power of the name of Jesus being made known in a community. I think sometimes, sometimes we forget that when we think about missions. Sometimes missions are, are helping in, in, in these charitable acts and, and giving food to somebody who needs food and giving clothes to someone who needs clothes. And absolutely, Jesus is about that. Read Matthew 5, 25. Right? Watch, watch Jesus as he provides for his people walking through the wilderness. Absolutely, he cares so desperately about people's livelihood. Give us this day our daily bread. But, but maybe Jesus is more concerned about, about the transformation, about people knowing the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe Jesus is more concerned about, about people's salvation and them coming to know the love and the power of Jesus. We cannot neglect that message. We cannot neglect that message in the midst of our missions. We cannot neglect that message in the midst of our charity. That must be essential to our call as Christians. And so I ask the question, what does it look like in your life to invest in transformation of lives? Not just, not just giving a, a shirt for somebody's back or foods for somebody to eat, but what does it look like for you to invest in transforming lives for the name of Jesus Christ? Our third question that we asked in this text was, why were they afraid? when they saw this restored man? Why did they even ask Jesus to leave? I think oftentimes we believe that uncertainty leads to fear, right? I'm, I'm uncertain of the darkness that is underneath my bed, therefore there must be a boogie monster and I'm afraid. But that's not always the case, right? I know oftentimes I've gone to bed knowing that there's darkness under my bed without the fear of a boogie monster. And so oftentimes it is, it is a predisposition to fear that actually leads to greater uncertainty. It is a lens of fear. Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll said this, the lens of fear magnifies uncertainty. The lens of fear magnifies uncertainty. Uh, last, last week, uh, or last time I preached, I, I used Cooper in my sermon and Kate got mad at me. Somebody used Kate in my sermon today. Um, I remember when we were, uh, when Kate was, and we had the swing set in our backyard. We still have it, but we had carpenter bees in the swing set and they were everywhere. They were flying all over the place. And Kate 
had no, no concerns, no cares that these bees were flying everywhere. You know why? Because she didn't know that bees were harmful. She didn't know that bees could hurt you. And you know what didn't happen? She didn't get stung. But then somebody told her that bees sting her. And that somebody told her that bees hurt. And all of a sudden, her lens in which she viewed those bees changed. And she became terrified. I don't know what it is for you, but what is the fear that magnifies your uncertainty? What is the fear in your life that magnifies your uncertainty about your relationship with God? Maybe for some of us, it's giving over control. Maybe it's the fear that God might ask us to change something about our job or might ask us to change something about our finances or might ask us to change how we raise our kids or might ask us to change how we do this or how we do that or what we partake in and what we don't. Maybe it's the fear that actually leads us to a greater uncertainty and leads us to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'd like for you to get back in your boat and go back to the other side because I'm not sure that, that the healing power that you have is enough for me to say yes to you. Church, I hope that we are a church that desires the healing power of the love of Christ. Church, I hope that we are a church that continues, and I've seen us do it time and time and time again, continues to step into uncertain places because we know that Christ can heal those spots, that steps into really messy uh, foster care system because we know that Christ has the power to heal those things. And we don't push him away because he might change the landscape of our church. He might change the landscape of how we do our finances. We, we, but we welcome him and we move in, into relationship with him because we value his healing power and his transformation over our, our certainty, over our comfort. Friends, I was challenged so much by this this week as I was reading the many areas where I allow my fear of God changing me and, and pushing me into uncomfortable areas. Even as I make this decision to step into, uh, into this missions pastor that is uncomfortable, I'm challenged by this. And so finally, the question that I want us to end on today is why does Jesus not let him into the boat? This man is entirely and completely ill-equipped to, to share the message of Christ, to teach the Bible, to, to answer questions that people might have he is completely and utterly ill-equipped. But yet Jesus sends him with the only thing that he actually needs, his testimony. He sends him with his story. He sends him with the story of, God, I once, I once was this and now I'm this. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was broken and now I'm healed. All that we need, friends, is the power of our testimony. 
is to know what Christ has done in our lives and to share that. And when people ask us questions, say, I don't know, but I know that Christ did this for me. I don't know. I don't know all of the things. I can't refute your, your arguments, but I know that Christ did this for me. And that's enough. And maybe you can't answer that question. Maybe you can't answer the question of what God has done for me. Maybe you can't articulate the transformation power that Christ has done in your own life, and that's okay. But I would ask you, I would ask you, maybe, just maybe, you need to come and meet Jesus with a willing heart and allow him to do some transformation work in your lives. Maybe it starts with saying yes to that Jesus and allowing him to do some transformational work. Your testimony is all that you need to sow the seed of the gospel to the world. So friends, when we allow the word of God to penetrate our lives, it does incredible works of transformation. When we allow this book to be living and active in our lives, it does, it does the work of transformation but only if we let it, only if we say yes to Jesus, only if we allow Jesus' presence to mold and shape and move us. But if fear leads our interactions with God, then we will never see the true potential of how God wants to use each, each and every one of us. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we give you thanks for the word of God. We give you thanks for your life transformation. We give you thanks for the ways that you move in our hearts and minds. God, stir us to a deeper connection with you. Stir us into um, those kind of relationships that you had with Gentile people who maybe don't look like us, maybe don't act like us, but, but God, you've called us to them. You've called us to love and you've called us to share our testimony. You've called us to share our stories. And maybe that means we need to step outside of our comfort zone. Maybe that means we need to step outside of our Christian bubble and, and to, to interact with people that, that don't look like us or don't talk like us or don't act like us. But God, move in and through us in these coming weeks. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen.